0: In July, the state opened up its first mobile medication unit designed to deliver addiction services like medication for addiction treatment to underserved communities, which is part of the state's larger emphasis on reducing the barriers to combating drug addiction. For more on this initiative, which the state is planning to implement around New York, we're joined by Debian Fletcher-Blake, president and CEO of VIP Community Services, which is operating one of the new mobile units in New York City. Welcome to the show, Debian. I really appreciate it.
1: Thank you. Pleasure to be
0: here. So what are the range of services being offered by these mobile medication units? And how do you achieve mobility? Are you just driving around in a van? Do you set up shop temporarily in different locations? What does it mean to be mobile?
1: That's a great question. So we are setting up shops temporarily. We have agreements with different providers in different places, um, including the Parks Department here in South Bronx. Um, where we will take our mobile clinic on schedule. So the mobile clinic's not just driving around. Um, The stops will be scheduled, the days are scheduled, and so people know where to find us and when to find us. Uh, The range of services include assessment, um, for methadone and other life-saving medications, including buprenorphine, um, patients will be able to receive their methadone and their buprenorphine from the clinic and um, other medications such as Sublocade, etc. Um, we also have a A doctor on the mobile clinic who will be there to do the assessments and to provide some medical services, and a PA will be constantly on the mobile van, and that PA is providing all the medical services that are needed for induction of medications and continuation of treatments, including some primary care. For services that need higher levels of care, we will be referring people either back to our bricks and mortar site, or to community providers with whom we will have set up some arrangements for people to be seen, depending where we are in which borough we are providing the services.
0: And who do you envision taking advantage of these services? Are these traditionally, for example, going to be people who don't encounter the medical system regularly? Or is this just an alternative for people who might, you know, have regular encounters with the medical system?
1: So I would say it's a combination because there are a lot of people who encounter the medical system in the emergency department. And those are people who are either unhoused or have no stable housing. We will be going to shelters. We will be going to other places where people congregate. There's some nursing homes that have asked for services as well, because those people are temporarily in nursing home and the nursing homes don't have the services to provide. And then in the parks, working with the parks department, those are people who are mostly street homeless that we will be trying to engage into care and treatment and hopefully by engaging them into substance use treatment, we'll be able to get them into housing. What I didn't say, one of the services that we'll be providing on the unit is assessment for the social needs. So for people who are completely unhoused, they're not living in shelters at this time, or they are marginally housed, we will help them with housing. We'll help people with job training, referring them back to our facilities here at, at the Bricks and Mortar, so they can have job training, GED classes, GED prep, etc. So clothing, food and nutrition, we'll making those referrals as well.
0: And do you envision the mobile units being a recurring point of care for people? Or is the hope that in the wake of these first encounters, you can refer people to more established uh, brick-and-mortar locations?
1: For some people, it will be their usual place for service. This is because in some neighborhoods... The number of facilities to treat people with substance use disorder is inadequate or they don't exist. And so for those places, we will be their usual place of treatment until, let's say, they move to a different location when we will make the connections with a a suitable provider in the neighborhood in which they will be moving or being transferred. For some people, it may be an initial assessment and a referral into another provider or to our bricks and mortar.
0: So, it's my understanding that this program is being funded with about uh, a half a million federal dollars that's sent through the state. How far can you go on $550,000 and is that all of the, the funding that you're receiving for this specific mobile medical unit?
1: Yeah, that's the grant funding that we have received and will be receiving for this mobile unit. Of that 500, 350 were used to build the unit. The other 150 is just for startup. It's for startup to purchase medications and for the staff just to get going. And then we intend to bill Medicaid and other insurance For people who are insured, that is, uh, to cover the cost. For people who are uninsured or underinsured, we provide services regardless of people's ability to pay for the service.
0: Then aside from the potential billing of services that you provide to patients, will you need additional revenue streams to keep this project going?
1: Absolutely, and we will be looking for additional grant funding, both from the state and elsewhere to keep it going. Typically, third-party billing does not provide for all the services that are provided on a mobile clinic. I have quite a bit of experience running mobile clinic and know that additional funding has to come from somewhere. So we will be doing a lot of fundraising as well. It will become one of the projects that we fundraise from, and we'll be looking to government entities and private foundations and other organizations for funding to be able to sustain the mobile clinic.
0: Well, you talked about the range of services that you're providing. So what do you view as the potential outcomes for someone who engages in one of your mobile medical units? Because it seems like it's more than just simply maybe overcoming a drug addiction. It seems like there's a wide variety of potential life improvements that you're hoping to see.
1: Absolutely. You know, healthcare is not just treating the one condition that people have, it's treating the entire person. So, we're looking to provide comprehensive healthcare services for people. The goal is that people can have a sustainable lifestyle, good health outcomes, and be able to provide for themselves holistically. Um, I, I think you know one of the mistakes that we make is that if we only treat the addiction that people will be okay, but that is so far from being okay. People need housing, they need job, they need job training, they need health insurance and they need nutrition and, and all the other social needs that we can help people to meet. And we strongly believe, because we have seen it with our other programs, that if you wrap these services around people, they do so much better. And the healthcare outcomes are so much better and are able to be sustained through these services.
0: According to a press release from the Hochul administration, your initiative is one of about a dozen that is planned for around the entire state, with I think four uh, destined for New York City. When you think about the scope of need for something like this, uh, is a dozen adequate for New York State, or is this something that we should be investing uh, exponentially more than we're currently planning on spending
1: we need to spend a little more, we need to invest more. Um, 12 is, is definitely not enough. And I'll say that because every day, the number of people dying from opioids is increasing. And you know, for us really to get to people where they most need services, we have to take the services to them. There are services in various neighborhoods and some, as I said before, do not have services but people are still dying. And so we need to go the extra mile, no pun intended, to get to people where they are in every single neighborhood, even in neighborhoods where people say, not in my backyard. Mobile clinic and mobile health is a way to take services in, treat people, and then pack it up and leave so that you know, you're know you not leaving the burden of a physical facility on the communities that don't want them um, because there are people in those neighborhoods who need services, who need care. And so how else are we going to get them? We don't want to see them when they're having um, life-threatening emergencies and going to EDs, that's very expensive. And for every life that we lose, it's, it's a cost to our society. So we, we don't want people to continue to die. And we have to invest in safe and reliable methods of reaching them where they are and providing care.
0: Well, finally, in announcing the funding for these mobile medical units, uh, the state noted that this is part of their emphasis on harm reduction, which is essentially embracing policies that acknowledge that people will continue to use drugs and there should be a focus on keeping them alive. So when it comes to harm reduction, what else, if anything, do you think the state should be doing that it's not doing?
1: I think there has to be better education campaign. Just like in rolling out the mobile clinic, there has to be education. People have to know the impact. People have to know it's going to happen before you roll it into their neighborhoods. The same for harm reduction. I think, you know, there's a lot of stigma around harm reduction and I, I, often ask, where is the stigma coming from? right? So some of it is because, as we know, substance use, um, addiction, drug use is stigmatized in our country. And so a lot of the harm reduction around treating people with substance use disorder comes from that stigma. But people don't really understand the impact harm reduction has on saving lives. And people also don't understand that harm reduction is not only handing out clean needles, and it's not only an OPC, it is more than that. It is a continuum of services that are needed to help people stay alive. And so we we have to spend some more um, time and resources, educating people, educating children about harm reduction. I I often think children are the best vector, not only for infections, but also for spreading information. Um, They need to understand what harm reduction is so they can speak to their parents about harm reduction and start to change the paradigm. We need to be out in communities talking about the impact of harm reduction on saving lives, the impact of harm reduction on community health itself, how it's making communities healthier uh, because it's helping the people who are most needing of services in those communities. So, you know, I, I applaud the state for talking about harm reduction, but a lot more has to be done.
0: Well, we've been speaking with Debian Fletcher-Blake. She's the president and CEO of VIP Community Services. Debian, thank you so much for making the time. I really appreciate it.
1: And thank you so much for having me, David.
0: Support for the Capitol Press Room is provided by New York State United Teachers, a union of professionals in education, human services, and healthcare. Join us again for Capital Press Room,
1: a production of WCNY Connected, Syracuse.